Children are the heritage of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Safe place for them today to leave. Well, I am, uh, this is weird for me. This is two Sundays in a row I have preached on a Sunday morning. And I've only preached on like probably two Sunday mornings in my life. I mean, Dad always preaches Sunday morning. And so and today, without a, even without a microphone, but I can yell. I got a, I'm a Kim Kate. I've got a loud voice. I don't have to worry about that. No. Um, for tonight, um, I just thought we would do something different. Uh, we haven't done a bonfire. It's been too hot to want a bonfire, but we're getting close. And Isaac and Desiree have a good property for it, so we'll do that. But tonight, we'll just have everybody over to our house. I know you were just there Thursday, but tonight we have pie. So <laughs> I encourage you to come back. Uh, so we'll do that at 6, and we'll just do something a little different. I just want to kind of take a different path. Something that um, I, I, I like to change things every now and again, just so we don't get sedentary and um, just uh, habitual in our action, but that it would be from our heart that we always want to gather uh, with our hearts toward the Lord. Amen. So uh, if you guys can and want to come, you're more than welcome. We can give you the address. But everybody else who uh, can come, hopefully um, everybody be blessed tonight. Um, but today I want you to turn to the book of Romans in the eighth chapter. Now I am still on the subject of baptism. And I know Romans 8 is probably in almost zero, zero um, people's radar for baptism. But we're going to get there today. Uh, I, I, and I know that you've been listening to um, what I've been sharing for the last few weeks. And I want you to do something this morning before we speak this, because I think there's, um, there's ample uh, thing that, things that the Lord wants to do in our lives. I mentioned it last week that Jesus said in Luke 11, he said, ask and you shall receive. And we focused on that last week when I preached. And um, how many have been thinking about that this week? Yeah. Somebody, that's good. You didn't lie. Because a lot of you didn't think about it at all this week. So that's, that's good. You're in church. You don't want to lie about it. You should have thought about it. You should have. Absolutely. You should have been thinking about this. Because... If there's a couple of things that, that we need to think about, if God says that we should ask, then should we ask? Yes, we should. It's not, hey, if you want to receive, ask. He's literally telling us to ask. So we need to be asking. Ask and you shall receive, seek and you shall find, knock and the door shall be opened. Then he goes on to talk about it, I'm reminding you, because some of you didn't think about it all week long, so you've got to be reminded. Um, he says then that if you, being a father, know how to give bread to your children when they ask, then how much more does your heavenly father know how to give you his Holy Spirit when you ask of him? I love it because it narrows the scope. The idea that we can limitlessly ask for anything we desire and that God is somehow going to do that is completely undercut by this verse. Because he gives us the scope in which we are to ask. First, we are to ask. Second, we are to ask and expect that the Heavenly Father is going to give to us what we are asking for if we're asking for his Holy Spirit, right. not his super energized power that we can go do miracle signs and wonders. That's not what we're talking about. 
he gives an adjective in front of this. This is not a name. Holy Spirit's not a name. Holy is not a name. Holy is an adjective, a descriptive of the Spirit. And God's Spirit is holy. And so God says, Jesus says, if you ask your Father for His Holy Spirit, then He is going to give you that Spirit of holiness. And then the third part of that is that we must be His children in order to ask anything of the Father. So those things being in mind, I want you to do something right now. You don't have to do it out loud, but I want you just to take a moment before I start speaking and we're going to ask that God's Spirit would saturate your vessel. Because Dustin said something a few weeks ago that Pastor mentioned to me again this week. Um, and it's we've both been thinking about it quite a bit. But about the Spirit of God being the teacher. And Jesus says, you will know the Spirit of truth when it comes. The Holy Spirit. Because it will not speak of itself. But it will speak of me. You know why it's going to speak of him? Because it's his spirit. So when you hear all this talk, and I know I've said this, but I'm going to keep saying it until somebody figures it out. When you hear all these people talking about Holy Ghost, you can just count that it's not the spirit of God. It's some other spirit. Because it doesn't talk of itself. It talks of Christ. So when you receive the spirit of God, you're going to hear about Jesus. This morning, you're going to hear about Jesus. And his spirit it is that teaches you. It's not me. I'm going to give you some thoughts. I'm going to give you some word. But His Spirit is the one that resonates it within you and causes you to hear it and grow by it and to hear what you need to hear this morning. Amen. How many believe that? Yes. No man comes to God by the, by the drawing of His Spirit. He is going to teach you all things, is the scripture that Dustin used, that you need to know. It is the Spirit of God that is our teacher and it's going to teach us about Him this morning. Amen? But you need to ask You've had all kinds of stuff that you've been doing this week. You've had all kinds of things that have preoccupied your thoughts and your time. You've had things that you thought were important that aren't important. You've had things that you thought weren't important that are important. And so right now, every one of us needs to receive of the Spirit of God this morning to overflowing in our lives. Amen? What are we to expect? I'm, I'm rehashing the sermon. What are we to expect? Not miracles, signs, and wonders. Not tongues. Not super emotion. I want you to expect that the Spirit of Christ is going to dwell in you richly and cause you to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. So I want you to ask in, in your own heart right now. You can just close your eyes if you want to. You can keep your eyes open. You can lift your hands. You can keep them folded across your lap. I don't care. But I want you to ask, Lord, you said that we can ask. And so we ask of you this morning that your holiness... The holiness of your spirit would work inside of our lives. That we would be baptized, immersed, surrounded, and saturated by your spirit, God. We need it. I can't teach anything this morning. There is nothing that I can do to change a single life. There's nothing I can say that is profound or revelatory. But God, your spirit, when it gets a hold of us, when it works inside of us, you cause us to grow to know you, to understand you. And so we ask this morning, and I believe that right now for every life that is asking, every child of God here that is asking, that we receive right now, Jesus, of your spirit. We believe that.
<laughs> Romans chapter 8. You're going to stay there. I have a few scriptures that I'm going to flip to. You don't have to if you don't want to, but we're going to look through. We're going to do an exegesis of Romans chapter 8 this morning, and we're going to hopefully land in baptism and understanding at least what it's about. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the spirit, but after, or not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin, or on account of sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. I've been laboring to give this solid biblical perspective concerning baptism. Water baptism has been the focus of much denominational split as we have covered. Pretty much if you look on every um, denomination, every church uh, website, their statements of faith, you're, you're generally... Now, now, a lot of churches today are getting a little bit more watered down on their statements of faith, which is, I mean, I don't know that it's that important, but let's say 10 years ago, uh, for sure, and it's certainly in every denomination, you're going to find a statement concerning baptism right. in that statement of faith. There's going to be something, whether it's belief in the baptism that you took for salvation, whether it's belief in baptism in Jesus' name, whether it's belief in the baptism in the Trinity, or whether it's belief uh, in baptism being a symbol, you're going to see something on there about baptism. And the fact is that it's, it's caused schism in the body. It's not caused unity. It's caused division and separation. It's a point over which people separate, not a point over which people unite. There's got to be some clarity on it. Um, whether you have to be baptized or not. Obviously, we do not believe that baptism is essential or the precursor to salvation. We do not believe that baptism produces salvation, water baptism. But we have established that, that baptism does work salvation in us, but it's not water baptism. It's baptism in the Spirit of Christ that produces that life within us, which is necessary. Uh, so we have also established over the last few weeks, and just recovering a few things so you can think about these. We have established that water is about judgment and not about life. Water represents the judgment for sin in numerous spots in the Old Testament. We see this over and over again, that water really represents the judgment of sin on our lives. And that baptism is about death and not about life. That's something that's very important for you to remember. When you think about uh, water baptism or spirit baptism is, is on another thing. But when we talk about baptism in general, water baptism is, a, is certainly a symbol of death. And then Jesus, which we'll get to in a little bit, talks about baptism. And baptism in general really represents for us death. It does not represent for us life. I think it's important for you to understand that. So I believe that the focus of baptism 
should be not what you're baptized in, but who you are baptized in. Not what you're baptized in, but who you're baptized in. Again, denominational splits over whether we baptize in Jesus' name or in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. I want to touch this for just a minute. Now, I always give this, this uh, what is that called? A, a clause that we're not, we're not here, this disclaimer, there we go. We're not here to attack Trinitarians. I was born and raised Trinitarian. It's what I knew. And I love the same God I love now. I loved then. I've just come into a different light. So that's, this isn't about an attack. But let's just, let's, let's address this for, for a second. It's fairly obvious to any intellectually honest person that Father, Son, and Spirit are not names. Everybody say amen. Father is not my name. Son is not my name. And Spirit is not my name. It is also not the name of God. The Jews were not afraid to say Father. They were not afraid to say Son. And they were not afraid to say Spirit. Yahweh. The salvation. The Savior. The God who saves. Yahsus. Isus. This is the name going toward God. We can... We could talk about that and define that. Jehovah would be directed toward God. Father, Son, and Spirit are not names. So to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit in that formula is absolutely unbiblical. That's not a name. It doesn't work. You could say, I want to baptize you in the persons of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, I suppose. I would argue that that would be wrong. But I suppose you could say that, but you cannot say I'm going to baptize you in the names of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit or the name singular of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. If you use this formula, then you would, even if you want to buy that formula, you want to say, okay, listen, I want want to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, then you'd have to have what that name is. And you would have to baptize within that name. So we would see very clearly that that is Jesus. That's so obvious within the scripture um, to us. But I want to also cover something else really quickly. Even here, even the idea of baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Does anybody know off the top of their head? You don't have to answer. But does anybody know off the top of their head where that text is found? The only place that text is found is Matthew 28, 19. And I just want to throw out something here because while we, we frequently, we try to establish foundation upon which we can build our faith, which is Christ. But sometimes we have to destroy the, the outbuildings. A guy called me uh, from McAllister and said, hey, I want you to maybe, you, could you frame for me? And he has an addition and I'm trying to look at the plans and I said, well, I don't understand this and this and this. He said, oh, no. before we do that addition, that all is coming off. That was an addition that was no good. That's going to work right here this morning. There's a lot of stuff that we, we want to build on Christ, but we've got a lot of outbuildings that we've built that are constructed onto this foundation that are not stable. And we cannot build a house upon that unstable ground. And so let me, let me say this. Has anybody ever heard of Eusebius? Eusebius was um, the bishop of Caesarea, and he is known as the father of church history. That's kind of how, not by me, but that's how scholars would define him. He wrote pro- prolifically, I'm reading from a, uh, a little excerpt, he wrote prolifically, and his most celebrated work 
is his ecclesiastical history, a history of the church from the apostolic period unto his own time. Eusebius quotes many verses in his writings, including Matthew 28, 19, several times. But he never quotes it as it appears in the modern Bible. Now, let's be clear about Eusebius. Eusebius was on the side of Trinitarianism. And he never quotes Matthew 28, 19 as saying, Jesus saying, go and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Never once. He quotes it three times in his writings, the proof of the gospel in his third book. And he always quotes it that Jesus said to them, go and make disciples of them in my name. He doesn't even quote the baptism part at times, but if it's included, it is always in my name, which would make perfect sense because Jesus is talking about baptizing them in my name. Name in me, in my discipline, make disciples of them about me. Don't make disciples of them about some other religion. Make disciples of them about me. You have to teach them about me. You've got to talk to them about me. You're going to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. That make any sense? Obviously, he would be saying to baptize in his name if he did instruct to baptize. So this is the only place that it's found. He was present. There's another thing that's interesting about Eusebius, and I'm only doing this quick church history here. Eusebius was present at the Nicene Council, the Council of Nice, where they established the doctrinal orthodox codes. They invited 1,800 pastors from the areas, the the continent around them, and and they invited 1,800 pastors, and only 283 or something showed up. In fact, that's the number that the Catholic Church uses today to nominate the Pope, by the way, which is a mess. Only 200 and something of the 1,800 showed up. That certainly is not a quorum. You're talking about one-ninth of the, of the known pastors in the world show up and then whatever they decide is now the doctrinal standards for the, for the church? Well, this is a sham from the outset. But Eusebius is there. He is present at the Council of Nice and he is arguing with Arius. If you know anything about these things, you don't have to, but Arius is a oneness believer. We don't know exactly what he believed because they have destroyed all of his writings. Uh, they made claims about him, which we really don't know. He could have been off. We could have been right on. Who knows? Um, but he's arguing with Arius, who was a oneness believer, and he never one time uses, quotes, Matthew twenty-eight nineteen as proof of the Trinity, which if it was there as baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, would he not have used it? Just intellectually, I like to use Mickey, use your brain. If it was there, he certainly would have said, hey, we have proof that this is a trinity because Matthew says so. But he doesn't say that because it's not there. I'll tell you what is interesting. Acts 2.38, Acts 8.12, Acts 8.16, Acts 10.38, Acts 19.5, Acts 22.16, Romans 6.3 and Galatians 3.27 all speak of being baptized in the name of Jesus, in the name of our Lord and into Christ. Not one mention of being baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. Anybody else see a problem with that? If you're going to baptize, if you're going to do it, you might as well do it right. If you're going to baptize, should we not then look at how the early apostles baptized? Literally, if the commandment of Jesus in Matthew 28, 19 was to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, then Peter is in direct 
obstinate defiance of what Jesus said in the book of Acts just 50 days later. So it's a problem. Now, I don't want to be, I'm, I'm not saying this so we can be dogmatic. I'm saying this so we can understand why we believe what we believe. Again, I'm not trying to beat people up. Uh, you know, if you were baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are you going to hell? No, I don't believe that. Because I don't believe baptism brings salvation anyway. But if we're going to understand it, should we not at least look at it appropriately? Amen? Amen? Let me read to you something. This is interesting. This comes out of Bible Catechism by the Catholic Book Publishing Company, 1973. It is, it is Catholic Catechism teaching book that they use. This is what they say. The Bible tells us that Christians were baptized into Christ. They belonged to Christ. The Acts of the Apostles tells us of the baptizing in the name of the person of Jesus. A better translation would be into the name uh, into the name person of Jesus. Only in the fourth century did the formula in the name Father, Son, and uh, Holy Spirit become customary. That's not Pastor Rodney's words. That's not Oneness Pentecostal's words. That's not the United Pentecostal Church of God or the ALJC, those who are Unitarian. That's not my words. That is the Catholic Catechism. They're not ashamed to say this is where it came from because they believe that the Latin fathers were given the doctrines and that the apostles were just establishing the church and that God anointed Latin fathers 400 years later to really give the doctrines of the church. I mean, this is just baloney, but this is what they believe. So they're not ashamed to say, hey, this is where it came from. Why are so many Protestants who are supposed to be against the, the Catholic Church, who don't agree with the doctrines of the Catholic Church, willing to buy this doctrine. It just doesn't even make sense to me. Now, I'm going to get off that hobby horse because, frankly, that's not the commission of our life to denounce baptism in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But when we think about baptism, it truly was, and, and I, I, I totally agree, that the, actually the title of that little uh, paragraph is Into Christ. Because this is what baptism was about. It wasn't about being baptized in a name. It was about being baptized into a person. This is what it was about from the very beginning. It's fairly obvious to any who want to hear that the baptism for the first 300 years of the church was into Jesus Christ. But I don't want to focus on this being about water. Because that's where immediately, I, I would say, even though I grew up in, in, a, in a Pentecostal environment, uh, I would say that my knee-jerk first thought to my head when somebody says, what do you think about baptism? My first thought is water. Does anybody else go there? Just immediately. I mean, yes, we know uh, there's, there's term about spirit baptism, although you're going to struggle with a lot of terms about that being directed towards spirit in the scripture. My first thought goes to water. My immediate idea about baptism immediately takes me to water. And so I, I don't want to think about 
getting dunked in the right name this morning. That's not what I want you to do. I don't want you, what I just said, I believe it. I think it's, it's good foundation for us to understand. But when we talk about baptism going forward, I don't want your immediate thought to go to getting dunked in the baptismal tank in the right name. Well, I did in Jesus' name. You didn't name it Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so you're right and I'm wrong. I'm right and you're wrong. Whatever. I don't want you to think about it in those terms. Because baptism is about sin and death. That's what baptism is about. The law of sin and death. Think about it for a minute. There is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. The law of the spirit of life in Christ has set us free from the law of sin and death. Jesus looks um, at this a little different. Mark chapter 10 and verse 38. The disciples are asking for privilege. And Jesus looks at them and says, are you able to be baptized with the baptism that I am going to be baptized with, that I am baptized with? Anybody remember him saying that? Is he talking about water? No. He's talking about his death. He says, you're not, you're not, baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with. I'm going to be baptized in a, in a different thing than what you're going to be baptized. He said, but at some point you will be. Now some would make this to be spirit baptism, but I don't see anything about that because I don't see that Jesus was spirit baptized. That's my opinion. He is God and in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. I don't see the time where now Jesus is filled with the Spirit and at other times he was. I don't see that. Yes, the Holy Spirit came down and descended on him as a dove, but that wasn't for him. He was already full of the Spirit of, the Spirit of God. That was for John. That was so John could see that the Spirit of God was residing on him. So I don't see spirit baptism here. But, but what, what he is talking about, in my opinion, is his death. I, I want you to look at Luke. I want to read this one for you. Luke chapter 12. I believe, let me, let me see if it's Luke 12 and 50. I'm come, 49, 12, 49, I'm come to send fire on the earth. And what will I if it be already kindled? But I have a baptism to be baptized with. And how I am straightened till it be accomplished. How I am pressured and struggling under this. I believe this is clearly speaking of his death. How many would agree to see that his death in there? So I believe that what we're here, when we go to water, what we're taught is that there is life in the water. And what I'm telling you is that there is death in the water. Everybody wants to get in the water, and I'm telling you, you need to get out of the water. Jesus isn't trying to get why didn't Jesus baptize why didn't he I mean he didn't baptize a single person 
He didn't baptize his disciples. Well, he washed their feet so that, no, 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 no. We can't do that. We, we're going to go down all kinds of rabbit holes if we start trying to go down that road. Why didn't he baptize? I can't give you a definitive answer, but I can tell you something. That, that baptism is about death. And Jesus said, I came that you might have life. Jesus wasn't about bringing our sins upon us. Jesus was about taking our sins away from us. He took the chastisement of our peace upon him. He took the punishment. He took the shame. He took the guilt. That to me, this is just my opinion, but that to me is all in the baptism. Maybe we should stop priding ourselves in being baptized because that's shameful. That's where the shame resides. I have to be baptized because of what I was. Because it represents my death. Because in that water is all of my sin. I don't see anything to be proud about there. What I see is that there should be pride. If I will glory, I will glory in the cross of Christ. Because there, my sins were taken away. And we should be made conformable unto his death. Romans 6.3 says, listen, don't you know, I quoted this a few weeks ago, that as many of you as were baptized, you were baptized unto his death. Baptism, in Jesus' perspective to me, and I am not the authoritarian on every truth, but to me, it represents death and never life. So, if we are baptized into his death, as Paul says in Romans, we're now in Romans 8. He was in Romans 6. That just a, a few verses back here, he says you're baptized into his death. But if, if we are baptized into his death, how can we live if we only ever die? Life does not come as the result of baptism. Life comes... As the result of the Spirit of Christ. What happens to you physically if we had a baptismal tank up here today and I put you down in the water and I never brought you up? What happens? Death. There's no life in the water. What if a baby in the mother's womb? See, I had this thought, you know, a few weeks ago and I was talking about water representing judgment and sin and iniquity. And the scripture says that you are born in sin and you are shaped. Where? In iniquity? What are you formed in? Water? In your mother's womb? She carries you, but what if you never come out of the water? You just live forever in mama's tummy? 38 years old? All the women are saying, hey, man, that doesn't happen. Thank God. <laughs> there is no life in the water. The water only produces death. And I've heard, I heard a, a really prominent uh, UPC preacher get up and say, listen, the only way that you can ever die, according to the scripture, is through baptism. So this is why you have to go be baptized, otherwise you cannot live. 
But Jesus then says in our, one of our favorite passages of Scripture, Luke 9.23, that you've got to die daily. So if baptism is the only way that you can die symbolically to God, or he said it's not a symbol, he said it's a real death. Well, if that's the only way you can die, then you've got to be baptized every day. I said that a few weeks ago, and that was before I even heard this guy say this. Man, I said, some of you better get a baptismal tank installed in your house. Because you're going to have a lot of sin when you start thinking baptism is what it's about. You're going to have a lot of sin in your life when you start thinking legalism is what it's about. You're going to have all kinds of self-righteousness and all kinds of issues because you're not focused on the one it is about. You're not living the life. You're worried about the death. So how do we live if we only ever die? And this is where I believe Romans 8 comes into play. From the beginning of this chapter, we see two opposing laws. I'm not going to cover the whole chapter, about half of it. I want you to go home this week and read it if you want to. But I want you to look at it from a different perspective. We see two opposing laws. Here's the law given by God. It's found in Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 20. The soul that sinneth shall surely die. This is the law. There's no way around it. The wages of sin is death also in the book of Romans. It is the produce, the outcome, the offspring, the result of sin in your life is death. If anything, baptism is a symbol of sin, not of life. It is death. It's a dying to ourselves. And again, I'm not opposed to baptism. We do baptize. We baptize in Jesus' name. I think it's a beautiful symbol. I heard somebody, a, 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 a theologian I, I read from time to time, he said that, that baptism to Christianity is like a, a wedding to a marriage. It doesn't make the marriage, but it makes the marriage beautiful. Parker and Aaron just got married yesterday. Did they have to have a wedding in order to be married? No. But it's a symbol. It's a type. There's a, a beauty to it. And she did it her way, I guarantee, because that's the, that's the occupation of the woman. She gets to choose her wedding. But this is, this is what, what baptism is to us. It is that symbol, yes, of death. Only because I'm resurrected in Christ in life. But if I'm baptized in Jesus' name, and this is a sticking point for me, for a lot of the UPC churches, I'm baptized in Jesus' name, and I get up out of that water, and all I ever talk about is Holy Ghost. There's a problem. There's a problem. Because I'm not resurrected in Holy Ghost. I'm resurrected in Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ live within me. I'm baptized in His Spirit, not some other spirit. And for the UPC, for the oneness person, for whatever denomination that, that is of the oneness group, they, they claim to be Jesus-only people, but they come up out of the water and they only want to talk about being baptized in Jesus' name, but they never want to speak about Jesus again. All they want to talk about is Holy Ghost. They want to talk about miracles. They want to talk about speaking in tongues. They want to talk about all that stuff, but they don't want to talk about Jesus. They don't want to talk about the life of Christ. And this, to me, is evidence of why we don't focus on baptism. Because it's not about a name, it's about the person. It's not about going into the water, it's about being resurrected in Christ. Amen. That can happen certainly without any water involved. That's right. There is newness of life 
Because if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Never a mention in that scripture of water. If any man goes into the water, he'll come up a new creation. Why are none of those things ever mentioned? We see this happen frequently. Where we, we have our little pet peeve or a little... And we try not to do that here. I, I labor and I know pastors the same thing. Not to get our little niche scriptures and our things we stand on uh, so that we can prove our doctrinal statements. But so many times we get all of these, well, this is what that means and this is what that means. But it never says it. It's all this scripture twisted with that scripture. And if you can convolute that one and twist it into that one, then you can get over here. Our life is simple. It needs to be in Christ. That's all you need to know. That's all you need to have. You don't need anything but Jesus. If you're looking for anything but Jesus, you're looking at the wrong faith. That's right. Yes. Looking at the wrong religion. There is another law beside the spirit or the law of sin and death, and that is the law that talks about the spirit of life that is the result of Christ Jesus. The laws of conduct and rules do not produce life. Let's be super clear. I grew up my whole youth around people who had certain dress codes and certain thoughts about how women shouldn't, and I know I say this frequently, but we've got to cover it. Women should not wear makeup and women should not wear pants and women should not cut their hair and and you get this little group that believes a little bit different. They start their own denomination in their own church. And, but I grew up around this legalistic thought that somehow your code of conduct makes you holy. I'm, I'm on thin ice here because I believe in holiness. I'm going to talk about it here in just a second. Now y'all can get mad at me. Without holiness, no man shall see God, the scripture says. And we are to ask for his holy Descriptive adjective, spirit. Because you and I are flesh. We just read it. As long as we operate in the flesh, we cannot please God. So we need His holiness to work in us. But there is this thought that in the conduct code, when I get my wife out of her pants and I get my wife not wearing makeup and she's no longer cutting her hair and I don't wear a wedding ring and I don't have a beard... I heard this week, had to show it to dad. He was almost vomiting. He was so mad. Shane was there. Man in the apostolic church got up and said, you cannot have the anointing of God and have facial hair. And to dad's question, who is telling him that? Because it's not Jesus because Jesus had facial hair. In fact, I was so moved. I bought a shirt this week. And I will be wearing it. Jesus had a beard. Be like Jesus. I'm going to wear it. I told mom I'm not a Facebook person. So I'm not going to post anything. But I'm probably going to have her take a picture of my shirt and post it right on her page. He said you cannot have the spirit of God and have facial hair. It's pride and it's worldly. What, where are we at with this? Is there life in that? Think about it. Is there life in that? No. 
death. All death. We cannot produce life with the laws of sin and death. It doesn't work that way. So you can spell out, and, and again, man, I, I know you all have been in our church except for Wayne and Gwen for a long time. So you know that I'm, I'm not talking about this liberty to go and, and do whatever you want to do. That, but what we've got to be careful that we don't transgress over this thing and think that somehow that we can produce holiness by what we wear. Now, I think we can get holiness out of our lives by what we wear. I do. I absolutely do. But I don't believe you can produce holiness by what you do wear. Because if it works, it works. So if Carrie never wearing a pair of pants the rest of her life produces holiness, then everybody who does that is holy. Right? If that produces holiness, if it produces life, then it produces life. But if it doesn't work for some people because their heart's not in it, well, then it's not about what you wore. Right? It's about your heart. So the laws are not there. Jesus says the Old Testament, it can't produce life. Paul says the Old Testament isn't there to produce life. Jesus said it's all there to bring you to me. Really, all that law does is produce sin. It just tells us where we transgress. It just shows us where we fall short of the glory of God. Amen. But Jesus has come so that we might have life. Amen. Strict dress codes, denominational rules, water baptism, none of this produces life. All of this only brings more death. I want to reread uh, Romans 8 and 3 again for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and because of sin condemned sin in the flesh. It doesn't matter how far you go with the law, it will never produce life because your flesh is weak. Amen. Jesus even tells his disciples, pray that you enter not into temptation for the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Do you know where you act out the laws of dress code? You know where that comes? Where's that acted out in? Your flesh. Where's the, where's the laws of modesty acted out within? Your heart. The spirit is where that works. Dress codes are only able to be applied in the flesh. You, are you following what I'm saying? Uh, baptism. Water baptism. Where does that happen? Flesh. It doesn't happen in the spirit. Water baptism happens in the flesh. And as a result of water baptism, all that's produced in my life is Death, it cannot produce life. It doesn't matter how far you go, how many rules you establish, you will never get to life through law. Right. It's always only available through Christ, through His Spirit. God has an answer for sin and death. 
the spirit of the life which is in Christ Jesus. I want to look at the 6th through the 11th verse quickly now. For to be carnally minded is death. This literally means to be carnally minded. I, I thought this definition was, was a fantastic and amazing. Just out of, uh, of Strong's Concordance uh, biblical definitions. To, to carnally minded. It says that the word carnal meant to be fleshed out. That's the term it used. To be fleshed out. Like, you know, you say, I'm just chilling out. Well, this means to be just fleshing out. To be carnally minded, to be fleshly minded, to be so absorbed in everything in the, in the physical is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the fleshed out mind is a war with God. It's enmity against God. It's not subject to the law of God, neither can it be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is not of his. I want you to think about those words that just were said. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Spirit of God, Spirit of Christ. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwelleth in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. The remedy for the law of sin and death is not more law, it's more Christ. That's, right. That's the remedy. You cannot legislate yourself enough to get holy. You have to Submit and be overwhelmed and be baptized in Christ, in His Spirit. Without His Spirit, you will never be holy. Because your flesh is at war with God. Your flesh is always, Christian, sitting here, who loves God, your flesh is always at war with the things of God. We have a, a propensity to begin to think that somehow, because I've been in this thing so long, been so many years preaching the gospel or so many years sitting on the pews that somehow our flesh is no longer giving us problems. But the truth is our flesh, our mindset, the way we view things is always at war with the things of God. And our flesh is producing death in us and the spirit of God is trying to produce life in us. You cannot law yourself into holiness. You cannot law yourself into righteousness. You cannot restrict yourself into life. If you're struggling with sin, restriction does not stop that struggle. You can castrate the pervert, the molester, and it does not change the heart. It might stop the deed, and I think we probably should do it. But it does not change the heart because of the restriction or the disability to do something. What you need is not more restriction. What you need is the spirit of the life of Christ in you. Amen. This is what enables you to walk uprightly before God. Listen, I am not saying that there is not holiness of conduct and righteousness of living. Because there absolutely is. The spirit of the Lord is going to lead you into modesty. 
This is something that tends to hit on the women, and maybe because of the nature of us, maybe it applies more. Certainly there's can be an immodesty in men there, that is seen at time to time. But I'm not even remotely suggesting this morning that it doesn't matter what you wear, how you act, or where you go, that God's good with it. I'm not, because he's not. I gotta hit on something for just a second. Not because I want standards, because God wants standards. Now listen, just because spandex now says Nike on it, I'm reading this so I'm not, nobody get mad at me. Nike on the waistband instead of Hanes or Fruit of the Loom does not make it permissible for public wear. Just because the world calls it workout gear does not mean it's not underwear. And I'm, what I'm tired of, I'm tired of the, of the Christian church using the law of liberty for the women to look like a bunch of hoes and hookers. I'm sick of it. Because God has a modesty that needs to get in your heart. Your flesh is going to fight this all the way out the door. But God has a modesty that needs to get in your heart. It's not my standard. I don't want to preach this. This isn't about what I think or what I want. Pastor Donnie, you're telling me what, what I need to, how I need to dress or what I need to wear. No, I'm not. Because law never produces life. But I will tell you, an immodest heart produces death. And there is no excuse. You say, well, I'm just going to show my cleavage all off, but I, I have a right heart about it. No, you don't. No, you don't. That's for your husband's eyes only. You're not married? Oh, well then that needs to be put away completely. What we need, we don't need a standard from Pastor Rod. We don't need a standard from Pastor Rod. You know how Pastor Rod has addressed this through the years? Everybody knows. Two words. Long and loose. Why? Because you don't need a law. You need the Spirit of Christ. I'll tell you what we need. We need for older Christian women who are baptized in the person of Jesus Christ to get some standards and do their job. Yes, amen. That's true. I'm seeing it happen in the church, and it's 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 aggravating to me because we got a lot of good people who are ignoring problems. When I was at uh, at the public high school teaching or uh, doing uh, football coaching, I watched just in six years from seven years from when I started there to when the last time I walked on the campus. I watched this toleration of what was unacceptable at public school as far as decency. Stop. Lisa, you agree. You were there. Why? Why did it stop? Well, because men were too afraid to say anything. Oh, no, no, no. No, that wasn't it. Because if you're a man and you say anything, you're called a pervert. You know why it, why it was degrading and why it got worse and worse and worse? Because the women wouldn't say anything. The men couldn't say anything, and the women wouldn't say anything. You know what's happening in the church? The older women are not fulfilling the duties that Paul instructed them to do, which is to teach the younger women how to behave themselves in all modesty. Well, it's more comfortable. Well, it's more comfortable for you to sit around on your couch in your underwear. But y'all are coming over to my house tonight, and it's not appropriate. <laughs> And the church said, amen. amen. Do you understand what I'm saying? No, listen, I'm not coming to bring death. 
I don't want standards for Echoes of Calvary. I don't want to be the church known as, well, this is how we dress, or this is what we... No, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not looking for a response. I'm not trying to elicit a response. I want to liberate some elder women to do the duty that the last generation, for some reason, didn't do. All you women need to say amen. It's your job, not mine. I don't want to tell the young women how they need to dress. But the scripture says that you should. Now, we're not getting up and preaching it about, about uh, sin and about death and about, listen, this is how you get into the church. And if you don't do this, no, 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 that's not what we're talking about. You understand the difference? We're talking about older women going to the younger women and saying, listen, sis, that's not appropriate. you got a husband and he's the only one who should be seen. And the younger women who love the Lord, understanding they are filling with the spirit of God, say, you know what? You're right. I had never thought about that. And I'm going to respond to that because I want the holiness of God in my life. And I want to reference my husband and I want to be what God's called me to be. Fathers, can I liberate you for a minute? We were all good when we were talking about water baptism, weren't we? (laughs) Can I liberate you for a minute? It's not my job to tell your home how to live. Again, this is how I grew up. Pastor get up there and say, y'all need to do this. And if, and if you have a TV in your house and if you, your wife's wearing pants and, and if you're going down that road, man, you're all going to hell. No, no, no. That's not my job. What's my job is to tell you about the holiness of the spirit of Christ. And I need to liberate some fathers to stand up and say, listen, this is by the spirit of God that's within me, how I'm going to conduct this home. Go change now. Because as long as you live here, you're not wearing that. As long as you live here, you're not watching that. As long as you live here, you're not doing that. Because it's about the modesty of the inside of my heart. Are you going to offend people? Hopefully. Hopefully you will offend people. Because Jesus is the stone of stumbling and the rock of offense. And you are fighting in your flesh every day to die. And the Spirit of God is trying to produce in you holiness. He's trying to shape you. And your flesh is fighting it. Tooth and nail. Now I know you all love the Lord. I don't mean it as a chastisement. I'm not trying to set the standard. I'm literally saying we need to operate as God instructed us to. As fathers, we don't say, you're going to hell. We say, man, son, what are you doing? Why why, why are you looking at that? Why are you watching? That's not right. It's about productivity. It's about understanding that's not what Christ wants for your life. I bet we spend so much time up front. Now I took 10 minutes and that's enough. That's all we need. We just need to be reminded that it's our job to circumcise our hearts, the scripture says. In fact, the scripture talks about the death as circumcision. It's the cutting away of the flesh, but not the, the not the, the, the literal flesh, but the fleshly heart, the scripture says. You need to be trimmed back. There's a lot of ideas that you get going through life. You can live for the Lord for a long time. And you have a lot of ideas that you gather that are producing death in you. Why am I unproductive? Why am I not fulfilling what God wants me to fulfill? Why am I not walking in where God wants me to walk? Why are we not becoming? Why do I not feel the Spirit of God? Because your flesh is fighting it. And I have to get out the knife. And you've got to do some cutting. Pastor Rodney, tell me how. No, no, no. 
I'm not the circumciser. The Spirit of God is. That's why we asked before we started this that the Spirit of God will reveal to you what you need to know. It's not my job. It's the Spirit of God. Now, after all that, how many of you are willing to say, I'm going to allow the Spirit of God to speak to me about what He wants for me in all modesty and, and how I live my life? And that's not easy. Well, if you come back and I, and I don't look exactly like, no, 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 this is about my opinion, this is about what I like. I got my home. I'm telling my home what I think is right. I worry about mine, I'm not going to worry about yours. But that doesn't mean it's not my duty as a shepherd to share and remind us that we need to walk in the areas that God has instructed us to walk in. Amen? I'm looking forward to the women helping the young ladies. Looking forward to the fathers. I'm almost done. Modesty is not birth in a rule book. Modesty is birth within our heart. Look at verse 12. Therefore, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. But if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you, through the, through the Spirit, do mortify. What does mortify mean? Put to death. Is that about water baptism? No. <clears throat> if you, through the Spirit, do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, look at this word, they are the sons of God. So now we get to the heart of the matter. We're not debtors. We don't owe the flesh. That's what he's saying. We don't owe the flesh anything. We think we owe the flesh everything. We live for our flesh. We get up and eat first thing every morning. Why? Because the flesh says so. We eat lunch, we eat dinner, we eat ice cream, we eat cake, we sit down on the couch and watch all this junk, not that it's all bad, but just, you know, filling fluff, pork rinds and, and uh, cotton candy, like I said a couple weeks ago. We, we fill, we're not debtors to that, but the flesh says, you owe me. You owe me, buddy. If, if you don't satisfy me, boy, your life's going to be miserable, and it's a lie. It's a lie. We, the flesh says, man, if you don't eat, you're going to die. And Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. If you, by the Spirit, do mortify the deeds of the flesh, then you shall live. There is death involved. You've got to die to yourself. Don't put that in water baptism. That's too easy. Everybody can say amen right there. Water baptism is way too easy. I did die. I died in the water. Yeah, but the problem is you're still living. Oh, but I died in the water. Yeah, I know. 30 years ago. But Jesus says you need to die every day. You've got to put to death those desires, those ideas. We're not debtors to live to the flesh. The law of the flesh produces death. But we are debtors to the Spirit of Christ to walk in it. To walk in life. And here's what I believe the key of this chapter is. And this is what I want you, when you go home and read this chapter again, I want you to hear these words. Verse 14. To be sons of God. To be daughters of God. Not because of the strictness of the law, but because of the Spirit of the Lord. 
What does that say in verse 14? But as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Has anybody noticed, I made it, I made it you draw attention to it, I believe it was in verse 9, where it uses synonymously the phrase Spirit of God and Spirit of Christ. Did anybody else notice that? Anybody have any ideas why? Synonymous? Because they're the same. Thank you, homeschool teacher. <laughs> Synonymous. They're the same. The Spirit of God and the Spirit of Christ. And if any man have the Spirit of Christ, and if you've got that Spirit, the same one that raised Christ from the dead, whose Spirit raised Christ from the dead? His Spirit. The Spirit of God. The same one. So, it is the Spirit of Christ that produces sonship in us. The law can never turn you into children of God. Understand this, the law can never turn you into children of God. I noticed something as I was reading this chapter that maybe it won't be that important to you, but to me, it spoke volumes. And that was, there was no mention of Holy Spirit in chapter 8 of Romans. There are several mentions of the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, that synonymous Spirit. That's all over this chapter. And I, and I was thinking about that, meditating on that, and the Lord just directed my thoughts this way. I'm not implying that the Spirit of Christ and the Holy Spirit are different. I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. But this chapter is dedicated to the Spirit of God, not because they're different people, but because it's got a different application to my life. This chapter is dedicated to the Spirit of Christ. When Jesus comes into this world, we need the Spirit of Christ, right? So when Jesus comes into this world, what does He come into this world as? You all know it, but you're afraid to say it. A son. Jesus comes to this world as a son. I need the spirit of Jesus. Why? Because I need to be a son and a daughter. Doesn't talk about Holy Spirit in this chapter because he's talking about being a son. And what you need to understand to be a son is you need to have the spirit of Jesus in your life in order to be a child of God. So if any have not the spirit of Christ, notice the terminology. See how important it is? See how we think differently about it? If any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So what's happening here? I want to notice that this chapter is about sonship. It goes on and we won't cover it for the sake of time. Do I? No, for the sake of time, we're not going to cover it. It says that all creation groans and waits for what? The manifestation of the sons and inference daughters of God. That's what this chapter is leading to. That there is an arrival of the Spirit of Jesus in our lives that makes us sons and daughters in order that we can manifest as God intends us to manifest in this world. Everybody wants to talk about Holy Ghost. 
But nobody wants to talk about the Spirit of Christ. I want you to look at verse 15 really quick. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Whose spirit are we receiving? What are we talking about here? The spirit of Jesus. Again, not a different person, but the terminology. We're talking about the spirit of the one who was son. The one who was touched how we were touched and felt our infirmities and knows exactly what it is to be human. We need that one spirit working in us. Amen? The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are now what? Children of God. And if children, then heirs of God. Joint heirs with Christ. Why does it say joint heirs there? Because God and Christ are different people. No, no, no. Because it's talking about the sonship idea. That he is joint heir. It, the, the scripture in Philippians says it was not robbery for him to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation. Because he was becoming a son. So the joint heirs, that we would be sons with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified with him. What is becoming clear to me is that the focus of the spirit of Jesus, the focus of that spirit that raised him from the dead is what I need to raise me from the dead. That's the focus of Romans chapter 8. I want to finish with this. John chapter 1 and verse 11. It says that he came unto his own. Speaking of who? Jesus. He came unto his own. Obviously speaking of God. And his own received him not. What form was he in? What was he when he came to his own? A son. A man. He came unto his own, and his own received him not, but to as many as received him, he gave them the authority, or the power, but it's the authority to become sons, daughters of God. The function of the Spirit of Christ in our life is about us becoming children of God. It's not about miracles, signs, and wonders. It's not about speaking in tongues. It's not about power. It's not about wealth. It's about us becoming children of God. My point here would be this. The reason why Romans 8 talks about sonship is because before you can ever be holy, you've got to be a son. The Spirit of Christ births life. It gives birth to life within you, which makes Jesus your what? Father. And now my heavenly Father, the one who birthed life in me, sends His Spirit again and works within me to make me holy. But he doesn't start with holiness. He starts with sonship. Because the truth is, unless you're willing to be a son, as Dustin preached a couple, taught a couple of weeks ago, unless you figure out how to be a son, you'll never figure out how to be holy. Unless you can submit yourself to the direction of the Father, unless you can allow the Spirit of God to direct your life, you will always just walk in the law of sin 
and death. But the law of the spirit of the life in Christ, Jesus, the Son, if that gets inside of you, then it sets you free from the law of sin and death. How do you overcome sin? We overcome sin by by really um, disciplining yourself and really um, chastising yourself. All those things, discipline is a part of our faith. You don't overcome sin by that. You overcome sin by the Spirit of Christ residing in you and you submitting to that Spirit. And then He produces holiness in your life. Lord, I ask you this morning, I don't even know how long I preach, but I ask you, Lord, that your spirit, we asked you at the beginning, Lord, if I said things that are unimportant, superfluous, non-essential, I, I pray that you strike them because I am not a holy man. I am not your mouthpiece. I am not infallible. But I pray that you teach by your spirit, Lord, what we need to know and what we need to hear. Lord, and I pray that you, by your spirit, first adopt us into that sonship. Birth life in any who just does not have that here today. <clears throat> Create that sonship position, that daughter position, Lord. And then for those who are walking in that life, Lord, I pray that your spirit would come. And we already ask you, Jesus, that your spirit would descend upon us. That you would produce holiness in our lives because we want to see you. We want to see you, Jesus. We want to know you, Lord. And we give you all the glory in your mighty name. And everybody say